Let's pray together. Our Father, we come now into your presence thanking you for your word. We don't live by bread alone. Certainly don't live by newscasts. We don't live by COVID updates. We don't live by governor's announcements. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Lord, we've come starving, famished, needing to be fed, needing to be filled. And God, would you open your word? Would you lay out the feast of your grace now? In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third sermon on, in our series on 1 Peter, and I want to do something by kind of rewinding a little bit, going back to see what is the theme of this entire letter. I want to do that first and then say, how does that relate to this text today? So when you're reading a letter, it is vital that you ask yourself, does the author ever tip their hand, show their cards about what they're writing and why they're writing? Does they ever show in the author's mind, does he tell you what he's doing and why he's writing? Well, he does that. This author, Peter, does it in one verse, 1 Peter 5, 12. What, what an amazing thing for, at this point, the author to tip his hand and say, this is what this is all about. 1 Peter 5, verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So he's talking about this writing, this letter. What is it? Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So you've got to do grammar, right? What's the this? Technical terms, what's the antecedent? What is the this referring back to? It's referring back to the whole letter. Peter's saying that what I've been doing is, is I've written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this letter, these five chapters, are the true grace of God. What an amazing thing. Peter's saying, what I'm writing, I'm aware that this is the grace of God coming from the mind and the heart and the will and the mouth of God, the grace of God from the mouth of God to you. I'm aware that this is what this is. And since this grace of God is coming to you, what do you do with it? He says you stand on it. Stand firm in it. It's, it's not a pillow for your head to get cushy. It is a foundation for your feet to stand on in times that are hard and tough and chaotic. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So like a song has a melody line that you keep coming back to. What's the melody line of this letter? First Peter 5.12 would say, here it is. Stand in the true grace of God. That's what this letter is all about. Stand in the true grace of God. But there's one note that's missing. 
We have most of it, most of the melody at the end, but there's one note from the beginning that we need to add to it, and that's 1 Peter 1, verse 1. And so he talks about who, who are they that he's writing to. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So if we're going to state the melody line in 10 words, there it is. Stand in the true grace of God as elect exiles. That's what this letter is all about. Stand in the true grace of God as elect exiles. What does that mean? Elect exiles. Peter wrote this letter to a church that was going through a, a season of chaos trial, uncertainty, during the reign of the emperor Nero, right before the climactic persecution of the church. And as Peter's writing this, he is standing, as it were, right next to the volcano. The, the volcano of persecution hasn't erupted yet, but it's smoking and the ground is shaking and it's right there in Rome. Like Imagine Pompeii. Peter's writing there, the volcano's about to erupt, this persecution is going to claim the lives of Peter and Paul and many other Christians. Peter's standing right there in front of the volcano, ready to erupt. What does he say? He says that you believers in these Roman provinces throughout Asia Minor Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, that's a, the route that it would take, Asia, Bithynia. You are elect exiles. This is just bursting with Old Testament background. You know what an exile is if you've read the Old Testament? When the chosen people of God are conquered and then carried away by a foreign power like Assyria or Babylon. And these chosen people of God have to live in a foreign land away from their homeland, away from the promised land. And now Peter is saying that is what we are. Spiritually, we are citizens of heaven and therefore we are exiles on earth. No matter where your zip code is here in this world, you're not home. You may be given a, a shelter in home kind of command, but you're not home. God is given a head home command. You are citizens of heaven and therefore exiles on earth and therefore never fully at home here. Citizens of heaven long for heaven and therefore always have this spiritual homesickness. And Peter is saying, do you think it's going to go well for you here? That's why he's going to say later, don't be surprised that this world, this is not your home, is going to persecute you. The things are going to go wrong. It's not your home. And therefore, you're going to have this homesickness. Citizens of heaven who are exiles on earth are always looking for that city whose builder and maker is God, that better country that he's taking us to. And therefore, if we are elect exiles with this spiritual homesickness, the question is, how did we become that? Peter's answer is already there in verse 1. 
God chose that. You are elect exiles. This is God's doing. And he doesn't just double down on it. He triple down, downs on it, triple down, in verse 2. How did we get to be these elect exiles? God did this, and you look at it from three angles. Elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctification of the Spirit in order to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with His blood. Let me summarize each of these quickly. Peter says you are elect exiles because God chose that. There's foreknowledge here. This foreknowledge is not just a foreknowing, like mental, cerebral, kind of passing knowledge. He knew it ahead of time. This, this is personal and powerful. You know that because this word for foreknowledge occurs in verse 20. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. You're telling me that God had some cerebral, mental, ascent knowledge of the Son of God, that He's somehow some passing thought in the mental frame of the Father. This is personal, intimate knowledge as God sets His love upon us. This is Romans 8, 28 and 29. Why do you know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Because those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He glorified. Meaning, if you are foreknown by God, he knows you. He sets his love on you. He predestines you. The, the destination that you're going to, predestination is your story ends in glory. And God is going to do everything to bring you there, being guarded by God's power for that salvation ready to be revealed. This story of glory where you're going to see his glory face to face. Peter says that's what God's doing. Why are you the way that you are? Why are you in exile? Why are you a citizen of heaven? God chose that. Not just your future destination, but your present wandering and homesickness. This is God's doing. Trust him in it. So who chose that? God the Father. How did it happen? Answer, the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification here means that you have been set apart from where you were in this world, a citizen of this world, with loving the things the world loves, seeking the things the world seeks. Then suddenly, God by the Spirit acted, and you were delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Why are you no longer feeling like you fit in this world? The Spirit did it. He took you out, uprooted you from your place in this world and gave you a, a new place, a new heart, a new citizenship, a new inheritance. Now that the Spirit has made you a citizen 
of heaven. You are now in exile on earth. You have a new relationship to this world. Old allegiances are gone. You now belong to another world. Like C.S. Lewis said, if you find that you have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then it follows that you are made for another world. And the Spirit has done that, setting you apart as a citizen of heaven. Now notice the third piece of this. Who did this? This was God, God the Father. How did this happen? The Spirit set you apart as a citizen of heaven. Why? Peter says, in order to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. It seems like the order is a little off. Why not say, be sprinkled with his blood, like forgiven and saved, and then obey? Why say obey and be sprinkled? The answer is he's drawing upon an old covenant picture in Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. So there's a pledge of obedience. And then Moses took the blood of the sacrifices and says in verse 6, Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, here's obedience, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So obedience, now blood, verse 8. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Peter's saying, you're a new covenant people. The problem with the old covenant is that there's a pledge of obedience and there's a sprinkling of blood, but there's not a change of heart. Therefore, the people didn't obey. People were judged. And this says in the new covenant, as the new covenant people of God, the heart of stone's been taken out, the heart of flesh has been put in so that we obey Jesus, so that our allegiance is to him above everything else. Put a gun to my head, I'm still going to obey him. The banner over our life is Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter what I lose, it doesn't matter what I have to give up in this world, no, I belong to Jesus. I exist by him and for him. And the reason is because I'm bought. I'm bought with a price by his precious blood. I have a new life, a new heart, a new allegiance, a new citizenship, a new inheritance. I've got a new story. I'm headed to the place where I see him face to face. You have to understand these things in order to be able to stand in this world of trial and uncertainty. Peter is pulling out all the stops and he's saying to you, like he's saying to them, in an uncertain time where there's loss and suffering and grief and you don't know what you're going to be called to give up, what you're going to be called to suffer, what you're going to be called to lose, Peter says, you're not lost orphans adrift in a sea of chaos. You are chosen children. Your, your citizenship in heaven is no random fluke. 
It's no cosmic accident. It is God's choice. And your Father who chose you and the Spirit who set you apart in order to love Jesus and obey Him forever, He's not going to stop working until He brings you to glory. So stand firm because you know your story. Stand firm. You know where this is going. You know the end of the story. Stand firm. So Peter calls us now to celebrate this great salvation that God chose, that the Spirit set you apart for, that Jesus died for. He's saying this great salvation brings you, verses 3 to 5, imperishable hope. It brings you, verses 6 to 9, inexpressible joy. And now, verses 10 to 12, he says, it brings you inestimable privilege. That's what we're looking at today. Rejoice in this salvation that gives you this inestimable privilege. In verses 10 to 12, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that believers have a historical privilege, verses 10 to 12, and then right at the end we're going to see a second one, the believers also have a cosmic privilege. So a historical privilege and a cosmic privilege. Let's see it together. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, that is what he's been talking about all the way from verse 1, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace, there's that word from verse five, chapter 5, verse 12, this grace I've been talking about that was to be yours, these prophets searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So let's untangle some of this. Notice what Peter does. He draws a direct line of continuity to say there are prophets who are laboring and inquiring to understand the work of Christ, sufferings of Christ, and glories to come, subsequent glories, as the Spirit gives them, as the Spirit predicts them. So you've got that whole line. You see it there. Don't take my word for it. In verse 10, there's prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully into what? Verse 10, the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories as the Spirit worked. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So prophets are at work to understand the, the, the details and the timing of this Messiah. What do you mean the Messiah is going to suffer? And then there's going to be glories. And when is this all going to happen? And it is the Spirit who is indicating this, predicting this. So Peter gives that kind of past picture, and then he updates it in the present. You notice where he says in verse 12. Now there's not just prophets, but preachers 
who have announced to you, those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, verse 12. So now, unlike prophets in the past predicting, you've got preachers announcing. What are they announcing? They're announcing the good news to you. So what was it that prophets were predicting? The sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. What is it that preachers announce? The same thing, the gospel. How do they do it? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Do you see this wonderful line of continuity? The things that the prophets were saying and inquiring and searching about what Christ was going to do as the Spirit was working that in them, it's the same message that was preached to you, that you believed, that preachers preached by the power of the Spirit. The message of the Old Testament and the message of the gospel are one. Same Jesus, same Spirit that was giving it power, that that was moving it. That helps us explain this wonderfully strange phrase in verse 11. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Why not say the Holy Spirit? Why say the Spirit of Christ? Because he's not saying Jesus did this. It is the Spirit of Christ. The reason is that Paul, or sorry, Peter, is trying to say that the Spirit who spoke to the prophets of old is the same Spirit that's empowering the preaching today. The same Spirit that predicted what Christ was going to do is the same Spirit empowering what preachers were telling you about what Christ did. Same message, same gospel, same Spirit. And why is it the Spirit of Christ? It's the same Spirit that was at work in the ministry of Jesus when the Spirit descended on him at his baptism and Jesus had the Spirit without measure and he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit always shines the spotlight on Jesus to illuminate him, to show him. He's the Spirit of Christ. Think about how important this would be to these struggling saints to feel like they're part of something bigger, that what was foretold in the Old Testament accomplished in Jesus and what they had received was all the same. They're part of this family of faith. They're part of what God has been doing. It has now landed on them. How important would this be? For example, next week, when we hear Pastor Stephen talk about Peter's words that they are to be holy, just as God is holy, he's drawing upon the Old Testament. And Peter's trying to say, oh, oh, these things don't just apply to you. They were actually intended for you. This is your story. Look at what Peter says to these listeners. Let's read it again because this is amazing. Look at how many times he says yours in verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So what did he reveal? The Spirit. He, the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Is that all that the Spirit revealed to the prophets? No, there's more. Verse 12. It was revealed to them, that is by the Spirit, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What a wonderful word for these believers to understand the Old Testament and all that God was doing there, all that he was, the the search that they had for the Messiah, all that they said doesn't just apply to you. It was written for you, intended for you. When God was moving the prophets, he was thinking of you in this time. What an amazing message this is. And this is exactly what Jesus said would be true of the apostles. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. He's saying to them, how many like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, as they're searching and inquiring, wanted to know the details, but they didn't get to see it, and they knew it was revealed to them they wouldn't see it. But you would. And so Jesus is saying to them and to us, don't get fixated by saying, can you believe what the governor said. Can you believe that the stay-at-home thing has been extended? He said, can you believe that Jesus has come and that you're standing on the other side of fulfillment and you see more than they ever saw? You've heard more than they ever heard. Like, this is Peter just turning the world upside down because the volcano is about to erupt and Peter says, Isn't it true that there's no place in time we'd rather be living than right now? With this persecution coming that's about to kill him, he's saying how blessed we are to be alive right now and to see more and hear more and know more than they ever knew, than they ever saw. But there's more. Peter says more. Not only is there this historical privilege more than the prophets, there's a cosmic privilege more than the angels. Verse 12. These things, that is the things concerning salvation, into which angels long to look. Isn't that amazing? I mean, where are the angels? They're in glory. They're singing holy, holy, holy. And you're like, we're more privileged than that? Angels 
can only be, in terms of salvation, they can only be witnesses of salvation, not recipients of it. As they look into what Christ has done, they can only look from above on it and witness the rescue, not receive the rescue. Can we agree that if somebody's been rescued from the ocean and, and they're being brought back to life on the beach and a crowd of people is watching, that there is something more meaningful, more special to not just witness the rescue but receive it. He's saying believers know the rescuer. They know this salvation in a way that angels can't. Angels witness it, but they don't receive it. So what's the point? Here's the main point. Believers today should have a profound sense of privilege for how they've received salvation. Specifically, they don't merely see what Christ did from afar like the prophets, nor see it from above like the angels. They see it here and now. Receive it here and now. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it here and now. I wonder if this morning what has captivated the attention and the awe of your heart is the fact that you're saved is the fact that you know the end of the story. That all that Jesus did for you amazes you more than anything else as the heart has eyes and it's constantly looking for things to be captivated by and, and in awe of. Peter is saying, okay, I know that you can see and feel the tremors and all that's about to come upon you, and he's turning the world upside down and saying, don't be amazed by that. Be amazed. That God is your father. And that he sent his son to die for you so that you could live with him forever. Is there anything more wonderful than that? Anything more captivating than that? If you're not a Christian this morning, I confess, I don't know your past. I don't know what you're facing now, but if you receive Jesus and all that he's done, I can tell you with all of heaven's authority, I know the end of the story. I know where it's all gonna go. I know that we're gonna see Jesus. I know that even though we're standing on this side and we see more than the prophets ever saw, I know that we're gonna see way more than we can ever ask or imagine when we see him face to face and we get to sit and feast at the table with Isaiah and Jeremiah and everybody else and just be in awe. And I guarantee you, we will not be saying, can you believe that pandemic? We're going to be saying, can you believe what Jesus did for us to be here? Just, just, just imagine for a moment. Recreate the scene. Here are these struggling saints. 
probably gathering in some house church. Don't know how many people gathered. This, this letter has been brought to them. They're, they're struggling. They're fearful. The volcano's ready to erupt. They start reading this letter, which is the grace of God to them. And they get to verses 10 to 12, and they hear that the message of the Old Testament wasn't just, doesn't just apply to them, but was intended for them. Can you imagine at that moment? They're like, can you read that again? When God was speaking through the prophets, even then he had us in mind. Even then he was thinking about us. It's still true today. All that was written in the past is intended for you living in these days. God hasn't left you alone. He's given you the grace of God from the mouth of God to stand firm in it. Can you believe the privilege of living where we live, seeing more than they ever saw? hearing more than they ever heard, receiving more than they ever knew. That's us, even in pandemic. So yeah, grieve the things that you've lost, but rejoice in the things that can't be lost, including you, as his power is protecting you for this big reveal someday. I want to close by singing a hymn, I'm convinced that while we're sheltering at home and maybe singing in a smaller group and maybe you're a little bit awkward with your voice, a little bit self-aware uh, of your voice and maybe you turn up the volume when everybody's singing so they don't have to hear you directly. I'm convinced that in these days of shelter at home, we need to have songs that we can just belt out at the top of our lungs, these, these hymns that we would know by heart. Here's one of them. And can it be? Charles Wesley wrote this, most people think, shortly after his conversion. He's in awe that he's saved. And can it be? And you get to the second stanza, and I think it's First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. This is our text. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. How, how did those two things go together? Immortality can't die, and you die. How does that work? The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all, let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. Tis mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. Let's pray. Father, what the prophets searched carefully and inquired about diligently, what angels earnestly long to look into we have we see we know we have received in Christ so help us 
Help us to receive it now, see it now, celebrate it now. Be in awe of it now. And can it be? In Jesus' name, amen.